Okay. Did you all notice I'm wearing red today? Go, yeah, go Utes, right? That was quite the uh, win last night. I know. We've got lots of University of Utah students in the house. Let's hear it for our students. <laughs> I'm not really um, a football fan, or I should say I'm a strange football fan. I love, I love football. I follow football because I have kids, a son and a husband who love football. And so that's why I wear, that's why I'm a strange football fan. Because I don't necessarily watch, enjoy watching people bash each other around and get hurt because I'm a mom and I don't want people to get hurt. <laughs> but I love those last minute clutch victories. I love watching my kids jump over the stadium side and rush to the field. It's just fun. I'm glad they're having so much fun. But yeah, go Utes. I love, I love students, so that's why I'm wearing my Utah gear today. And I would have worn it if we lost too, because I love people when we win or lose. How's that for an introduction? I've tried to do many things in my life um, because I love to do all the things, and I still dream about all the things I'm going to do when I retire. Like, I'm just always dreaming about everything I could do. It's just part of my personality. And so one of the things I dreamed about doing was being a middle school teacher. And I tried twice. I tried twice. And it wasn't great. <laughs> I tried two times. And one time I was so excited. Um, I just thought I was the coolest teacher because I drove all the way down to Draper to a meat packing plant. That is like the last place I'd ever want to be. <laughs> but I went down there with a giant cooler and I filled it with the heart of a cow that was this big, the size of a basketball. And I did that because I wanted my students to see what a heart looked like. You know, it was a science. It's middle school. Like they like blood, right? They like gore. This is junior high humor, right? I thought I was feeding the beast, you know? So um, I got one of the kid's parents, Dylan's dad came and he's an EMT or he flew, uh, he did something. He's a nurse. I think he was a nurse and he helped them dissect it. And we just looked at this heart and you know what? It was like nothing. They could care less. They were unimpressed. <laughs> That's the kind of teacher I was. I was like, this is a fail. Me trying to teach middle school is like that far side cartoon. I even did it at Midville Elementary. And do you guys remember the far side cartoon? Could you please put that up? Midvale School for the Gifted. Does anybody remember Gary Larson? The old folks in here got to remember him. But you've got this kid trying to push a door that should be pulled. That was me trying to teach middle school. Anyways, I'm talking about heart conditions, being anointed and heart conditions today. And I'm sorry, I went off on a tangent remembering this story because I was waiting for everybody to get settled. How's that? <laughs> But did you know that your heart is the size of two hands clasped together? That's the size of an adult heart. Your heart beats over 100,000 times per day. It pumps about 1.5 gallons through your body every minute. 
Think about the weight of blood being pumped even in this room right now. Uh, my heart beats faster than Aaron's because I love him more. Actually, it's because women's hearts beat eight times or eight seconds more per minute than men's. That's really the reason. But yeah, I love him too. <laughs> so what is it about the heart? It's the subject of so much poetry. When someone I love is in pain, I use this word to describe it. I'm like, oh, my heart just cinched, like, like a belt cinching. It's just like, oh, we say our heart stops, right? When we feel pain, there's something about this heart. Um, I have a friend who bought me a book for Christmas called Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown. And she's a social, a social scientist. And she um, has this idea that she's going to map. I know she's not a socialist. <laughs> I know that almost came out. She's a social scientist. And she does this. She has this uh, metaphor that you can have a topography or a map of your heart where you just discover and describe all of these different emotions and things that are carried in your heart. And so she's got this Atlas of the Heart. It's a beautiful book. You should read it. It's like a, it's like a beautiful atlas to go through. It's so pretty. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And the message version says, keep vigilant, watch over your heart. That's where life starts. There's something about this place. Now we all have rib cages. Hopefully we can feel them maybe. They're How do you know if you're being told a dad joke? If it, if it comes apparent. <laughs> Thank you, Meg. Some churches have word of knowledge mid-service. Mid Other churches have dad jokes mid-service. <laughs> Thank you, Meg. <laughs> I could you. <laughs> so we have this rib cage to protect our natural hearts, but how do we protect and guard our hearts? We've been talking about King Saul and David and Samuel and the Philistines and all the messiness of ancient life. King Saul did not protect his heart and direct it toward God. Instead, he was influenced by power, pride, and people. And the Lord tells him through Samuel, let's look at 1 Samuel 13, 14. Now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So in 1 Samuel 13, God is like, Sam, uh, Saul, heads up, you don't have my heart. I'm gonna look for someone who has my heart to lead my people. This is all coming down. There's no more of this, this stuff. I'm looking for someone after my own heart. So the Lord looked for and searched for someone who had a heart like his. 
what would it mean for me and for you to have a heart like his, like the Lord's? Is it something we even want? Do I even want a heart like his? That's a good question. We're talking today about the anointing of a new king with a heart like the Lord's from 1 Samuel 16. I'm going to paraphrase for Samuel 16 so as to not read the whole chapter. It opens with Samuel mourning, Samuel's mourning about Saul and the demise of Saul and Saul's just going off the rails and things are not looking good. And, and Samuel is mourning. And what does God say to Samuel? He says, how long are you going to mourn for Saul? I've rejected him as king. Fill your horn with oil, anointing oil, and be on your way. We get every impression that Samuel is stuck on what God had done in the past. He's not ready to move forward, but God's like, come on, be on your way. Let's go. There's more to do. He says, I'm sending you to Jesse in Bethlehem. I've spotted the king I want. I found him. So go and take a heifer to sacrifice and invite Jesse and all his family. And then I'll tell you which one of his sons you're supposed to anoint. This is always good advice. Center yourselves in worship, right? Take something, take a sacrifice of praise, a sacrifice of thanksgiving, take something, invite your friends, invite a family, and then the Lord will tell you what to do next. So Samuel does it. He goes to town. He invites the leaders of the town. All the elders come. They consecrate themselves, Jesse's family. They make a sacrifice. They have a meal. They have a worship time. And, G and Jesse and his sons are there. And while they're worshiping, Samuel sees the first, the oldest of Jesse's sons. And he's like, wow, tall, good looking. He looks successful. He looks nice. He's the oldest. Surely this has got to be the man. This is the one. But the Lord says to Samuel this, he says, 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, do not consider his appearance or his height. Aaron mentioned this last week. I'll say this again. We're so glad height doesn't matter for the Reds. <laughs> Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The message version says he looks into the heart. He was like me with those junior hires, opening up that big basketball-sized heart, looking in there. What does he see? What does the Lord see? So Eliab is not the son that Jesse's or that uh, Samuel's supposed to anoint. So then Abinadab comes by, then Shema comes by, then four other men come by Samuel's gaze, and he's like, not you, not you, not you, not you, not you, not you. Oh, wait. None of these are it. Who's it? And Jesse answers, he, Samuel's like, there's got to be another one. And Jesse says, well, there's the youngest one. There's the baby. He's out tending the flocks, keeping the sheep. What? They didn't invite the little one to the party? <laughs> so <laughs> at our house, our kids love to tell stories about times we forgot them. <laughs> Why are those, the, why is it the parenting fails that the kids love? 
So one time, and we weren't in on this alone, but we're, my sister and brother-in-law, Ben and Rachel, were here all the way from the mission field. They brought Lydia and Noah, and we're all in the house. It's Sunday. Aaron and I take off to church with all the girls. We think Ben and Rachel have the boys. Well, and Noah's like eight or nine, you guys, and Noah is new in the U.S., and everything is new. They came, and they were like, where Caleb and Noah? And they, we were like, you have them. They're like, no, you have them. So we left them at home. Yeah, Noah was a wreck. Sweet Caleb was like, it's okay. We're going to be okay. But that's the story that everyone's like, why'd you leave them behind? And everyone in here has been left behind sometime or another, right? You know how terrible it is, even when it's an accident. So we don't even know this youngest kid who's been left behind keeping the sheep. I mean, someone had to keep the sheep, right? Someone had to keep them. He's out with the sheep and Samuel says, send for him. We're not sitting down until he arrives. This is serious business. So Jesse sends for the youngest and brings him in. We still don't know his name. They still haven't said his name. It says he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. I'm thinking he smelled like the outdoors, <laughs> like a second grade classroom, right? <laughs> Immediately, though, in comes this handsome young boy. Samuel hears the Lord say, anoint him. This is the one. This little guy from out in the fields, this is the one who has my heart. Josephus, the historian from the time of Jesus, says he was 10. Other commentators say he was 15. So let's say he's somewhere between 10 and 15. God's like, this is the one. Samuel takes the horn of oil and anoints him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord comes upon David powerfully. This is when we hear David's name. He's anointed, he's chosen, he's found, he has a name. Then Samuel goes on his way to Ramah. Samuel doesn't actually say publicly what David was anointed for. Did David even know? We don't know. It doesn't say why did Samuel anoint David? All we know is he was anointed. David heads back to tend the sheep. Samuel heads back to Ramah. They didn't strategize about how to dethrone Saul. They didn't set up a publicity campaign or a social media plan. They just went back to the work God had called them to do. But David knew something had changed. He'd been anointed and the Holy Spirit was on him. David was young, he was good looking and outdoorsy. Sounds like a Utah man, right? <laughs> but none of those are the reasons the Lord picked him. The Lord picked him because he had a heart like his. So what does the image of keeping sheep teach us potentially about the heart of God? What does it teach us? I wanna look at three things. First of all, keeping the sheep was a servant's job. So some commentators think maybe Jesse didn't have that much money. You know, they didn't have servants to take care of the sheep. 
some people are like, well, maybe David was just the runt of the family. So he gets to do it. Um, maybe I thought as a parent, maybe his parents, maybe Jesse wanted David to learn about hard work and good work. I mean, there's who knows, but, but David was out there. And we know it was a servant's job. We know what Jesse, Samuel, and we see in one another. We're looking for good looks. We're looking for an appearance. We're looking for popularity. We're looking for influence, status, success. Sounds like your wish list for a spouse, right? I want this, 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 and this, and this. You know, so many of these things are represented by money and status. Surely this is the one. This is the successful one. This is the one I want. Ah, it never works out that way, <laughs> right? In Jesus's day, the Pharisees and religious leaders and Romans, they all valued power and influence. But Jesus challenged this all the time. And Luke 16, and the, there's a huge parable about money and how we relate to money and um, and responsibility. And the Pharisees get really upset. I'm not going to tell the story, but the Pharisees who loved money, it says, heard all this and they're sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your heart. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Ouch. Ouch, these things that we sometimes value, they're actually can be detestable in God's sight. Another time, Jesus is, a, is upset with the disciples and he says, or not the disciples, the Pharisees and the religious rulers. And in Matthew 23, 5, he says, everything they do is done for people to see. Oh, I've been, I've been guilty of that. I've been guilty of that. Everything they do is done for people to see who's going to be there. Who's going to see me? What are they going to say? Who can I impress? How can I get a little farther? But shepherds work in the hidden places in the dark of night, not in the limelight. If we want to map the Lord's heart and we want a heart like his, we got to embrace this idea that he calls himself a shepherd. He calls himself a servant. John 10, 11, he says, I'm the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd gives us a better word, right? We follow a crucified king, one who lays down his life for his sheep. I saw this cartoon in my, one of my prayer books. If we get that cartoon up, there's this blessed driver. Look at his nice license plate. He's going through the fast faith drive through And he says, I'll take the resurrection victory combo. Hold the cross and persecution, please. None of us want to hang out in the fields with the sheep, with the lion. It's the bear. But Jesus is out there. He's out there. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. We don't need an atlas of the heart 
of Jesus's heart or a map. This is what Jesus, how Jesus describes his heart. He says, I am gentle and humble in heart. Wow. Thanks, Jesus, for making that one clear. <laughs> He's gentle and humble in heart. Isn't it incredible that the king of our hearts comes to us humbly as a servant washing our feet, a sacrifice poured out on a cross, a body laid in a tomb. And when I lay down my life for others, when I wash feet, I know I can trust the heart of God. I know the heart of God. Care portal. I'm, care portal. We just had a request to help a grandmother in care portal, which is a ministry where we partner with local um, social services to provide for people in need. There's a grandmother who just moved all the way across from the East Coast to Utah because a, a group of children, their parents were tragically um, killed in an accident, a loss. So now this grandmother has come all the way here, uprooted her whole life, found a job here where she can work remotely. And this is what they asked for. Could we get a nice work chair, like an office chair so she can work from home and a trash can? for their bathroom. I'm like, okay, this grandma knows the heart of a grandma. She also knows the heart of the Lord that she uproots her life to come here and take care of a handful of grieving babies, children, and get them right. That's the heart of God. That's, that's why Care Portal is important, you all, so that we get to be there to help people and social work people who are trying to help people. We lay down our life, we wash feet, and we know the heart of God. The second thing, I wanted to tell you three things about keeping sheep. The first one is we're servants. We're shepherds, we're servants out in the fields. The second thing is it takes a special heart, a special care. David knew the tender presence and touch of a shepherd, the abundant provision of a shepherd towards his sheep. And I'm not going to say a lot about this because Halen just spoke such a good message last week about Psalm 23. So you should all listen to it. It was so good. But she spoke a little bit about how the good shepherd leads us, touches us, feeds us, and guides us with his crook or his staff and helps us through fear, through friction, through famine and flies and all the other messes that sheep make. In Psalm 23, with the metaphor of a shepherd, there's this hands-on, can't-be-rushed, special care that the good shepherd gives each one of us. This hands-on, like, I'm taking you. I'm going to tenderly guide you through the valley of the shadow of death. Even when the, your enemies are hovering over you, taunting you, I'm with you, I'm helping you, I'm guiding you. Speaking of that idea of the Pharisees wanting to do things so that they can be seen <laughs> or for the approval of, of people around them. Um, a shepherd, when, when, they're, when, the, when the shepherd is out with the flock, they're just focused on that sheep, on that lamb, on caring for that lamb. 
I remember this is a terrible parenting moment, much worse than leaving your kids at home. <laughs> much worse. You might not feel it. The kid might not feel it in the moment. But as a parent, I look back and I'm like, oh, Jesus. I remember trying to get my squirrely kids in order, you know, like, oh, and, and unfortunately, I'm like, what will people think? I'm a bad parent. I don't know how to have order. I don't know how to take care of these kids. I was actually thinking about me and everyone around me instead of like, what does my lamb need? What does this one need? So often we try to modify our kids' behavior. Now, obviously there are limits. Obviously we need to train them to behave. So I'm not dismissing that idea. But sometimes we try to modify their behavior without discovering the motivation of their behavior. And we do that with ourselves too. We're like, God, change me. God, make me different. God, do that. God, 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 just, I'm just going to shape up and ship up and I'm just going to, you know, be good. <laughs> and it's like the shepherd is coming in and saying, no, I, I want to, I want to touch your heart. I want to see what motivates your heart. I want to minister to that deep place in you that is pumping life throughout everything else you do. Where is their fear? Where is their friction, famine, or flies? It's like sometimes with my kids, I was pushing them, trying to push them through a door that needed to be pulled, right? And it's like, no, I want to focus on them and what they need. And then allow the Lord to deal with me. Isn't it incredible, the Lord's heart to us? I'm so humbled. The third thing is keeping the sheep meant David had time to think. To think about the beauty of creation. Has it, have you all been up to see the leaves? Have you been in the canyons? Have you taken a drive? You got to do it. They're incredible. Do we have time to think about creation? Do we have time to be creative? Do we have time to sing? Do we have time to process our own heart's emotions? Do we give ourselves times to think, to be silent before the Lord? I mean, you know, I always mention the Psalms, how much I love the Psalms, because each one is, is a man processing or a choir or an ensemble of people or instrumentalists processing their emotions and their feelings before the Lord. I'm just going to give you a few quick examples. Psalm 27.1, David processes his fear. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The whole Psalm is about dealing with fear. Psalm 29 is celebration and wonder and elation and joy. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory of God thunders. And it's this beautiful poetry about the majesty and strength of God's voice. What a great emotion to nurture, to discover, to let be laid bare in our hearts. Psalm 51.3, confession. We did this today in worship. Kathy said, we make mistakes and the Lord's blood covers us. I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. We get to process our sin, rejection, betrayal. 
Psalm 55, is, is David says, if an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it, but it's my friend. Rejection, betrayal. What if we were all singing that song here? Would you guys be ready for that kind of worship? I think it'd be very foreign, very difficult, very hard for us. I don't want to sing that song. <laughs> There's space in our hearts for it. There's space in God's big heart for that. Psalm 136, the last one, I think it's, I don't know if it's the last one, but thanksgiving and praise. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Uh, Crystal reminded me the other day, because she's a Crucial Conversations coach, which I think is so cool. I want to be like her too. That's another career I'll do someday. <laughs> Give it a try. <laughs> if you don't talk it out, you'll act it out. Worship, time with the Lord. Shepherds have time to be with God, to talk things out. If we don't talk it out, we'll act it out. We've all learned, right? Anger is just a symptom of something deeper that we got to talk out. We got to work out. Do we make time to think, to think about creation, to think about creativity, to sing, to process the vast topography of our own heart's emotions? There's a place in the map of God's big basketball heart. <laughs> that big heart of the Lord. God created your heart for this too. David Guzik, one of the commentators I use from Blue Letter Bible, he said, David's years keeping the sheep were not waiting time. They were training time. I love this psalm. Someone else must have written it, or maybe he wrote it about himself in the third person. I don't know, but let's put Psalm 78 up. Thank you. Then God chose David, his servant. He handpicked him from his work in the sheep pens. One day he was caring for the ewes and their lambs. The next day God had him shepherding Jacob, his people Israel, his prized possession. His good heart made him a good shepherd. He guided the people wisely and well. One day he was caring for the ewes. The next day, God has him shepherding Jacob. His good heart made him a good shepherd. He guided the people wisely and well. The NIV says, David shepherded them with integrity of heart. Could we get the next slide, please? David shepherded them with integrity of heart. With skillful hands, he led them. I just think as we study David, God wants to do something with the integrity of our hearts, the honesty, the reality, the beauty of our hearts, so that we can have skillful hands to lead and worship and serve others. So what does keeping sheep look like for you? We have all sorts of different gifts and people here in our midst. We have people who are caring, caretakers. We have teachers. We have people who look at students. We have people working with software developers from India. 
We've got nurses, we've got engineers, we've got purchasers for big companies. We've got parents, we have students. What does keeping the sheep look like for you? And what is your heart condition in the process? David was a shepherd and a musician. That was his work. His work trained him for king work, for priestly work. What is your work? And how is it training you for king and priestly work? And we're going to talk about that next week. What it means to be a kingdom of priests. What it means to be anointed. And be prepared. We're going to anoint you. <laughs> For the work, and we're going to call you by name. So come with a word or a phrase that describes your work. Now, I want you to remember we're not talking about even work you might get paid for. I love, you guys all know how much I love Eugene Peterson, the, the man who translated the message. I love his biography about pastoral work, it's an incredible story. And in the end, you know, everybody wanted him to speak. You too wanted him to come, or Bono wanted him to come to his concerts. And I mean, he just had so much attention, so much he could do, so many lectures to give. And he's like, right now, I just want to love my wife and I want to love her well. That's my work right now. And it just describes this beautiful laying down of his life to care and love his wife. I mean, maybe that's what you want to come. Maybe it's caring for someone. Maybe it's studying to be our next generation of leaders. I don't know. It can be so broad, but what, where has God put you now? And we're going to call you by name and we're going to anoint you for that work. And we're going to ask God to condition your heart for king and priestly work. So let's stand and pray. Is that good? Lord, here we are. Sometimes we're alone. Sometimes we're hidden in fields. Sometimes we feel like we're taking care of messy sheep. And we just thank you that like, like David, you, you see us before anyone knows our name. You see us. Even while Saul is up to all his shenanigans, <laughs> you see us. You say, there's a person who's after my heart. Lord, I'm just thankful that you see us, that you know us, that you name us. And that you're training us, even in circumstances that we might not like. We might be, I don't know, we could be doing hair. We could be laying floors. We could be teaching kids. We could be listening to a professor who's a terrible professor. And yet, in these places, you're shaping our hearts. You're pumping blood through our veins. You're conditioning our hearts. Um, 
Lord, we just pray that you would um, bless this congregation, this flock. Help us tend to one another and care for one another. And have hearts like yours. Receive from your heart and give your heart away. In Jesus' name, amen. From our prayer playlist, I wrote the chords from a musician's on Psalm 9, verse 1. I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. So we want to play the sound of that. And if you want to sing it with us, it's like you're going to fake it. <laughs> like Sarah was saying, what, what kind of songs were written to be sung? We'll give thanks to you, Lord, with all of my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will give thanks to you, Lord. Tell of all your wonders. 
praise the Lord. If you have prayer needs, there will be people. Um, they're already over there. There you go. And go with a song in your heart to the Lord. And may he speak to you during the week in his vocabulary and his melodies. I just pray that the song of the Lord is over you because he sings and he dances over you. He sings and he dances over you. He fills you with joy even when it's hard. That's so Keep your sheep. Have a good week. God bless you. Or you can sit and enjoy the music as long as you like. <laughs>